Hello and welcome to this Limbic Educational Series updating you on the latest on the CAR-T revolution. This follows our previous podcast looking at this quickly evolving treatment landscape. These three short episodes will look at what has happened since then in terms of new indications, new CAR-T centres coming on board in the UK and the latest in safety and toxicity data. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Graham Collins, consultant haematologist and lymphoma lead at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. We last spoke about this topic around a year ago, and then the aim was that for every allergenic transplant centre in the UK would be on board for CAR-T as long as they go through the appropriate governance steps. Uh, I understand this is very timely because Oxford did its first CAR-T infusions this week, um, and I want to talk to you about that in a moment. But first, can you just update us where we are in terms of more centres coming on board and kind of you know where that where the treatment's been offered around the UK now yeah no thank you very much Emma yes so we're in a a new phase now of uh, CAR-T centre opening so in the first wave uh, only seven centres for adults were opened um, in England and then the second wave there were only three more Um, there was an additional Scotland and uh, Wales centre as well Uh, but now it's not really a wave Uh, now basically NHS England have said that any allergenic stem cell transplant centre can open Uh, and that is what's happening so I'm aware of um, three recently who have infused their first patients Um, so Southampton uh, Imperial in London and now us in Oxford and I'm aware of several others um, that are in the process of setup. So, yes, we're really seeing that plan now come to fruition. Fantastic. So lots of progress being made. Um, I understand that it was quite a long process for uh, yourselves in Oxford to get to this point of the first CAR-T infusion. How did that feel to finally get there this week? And can you sort of explain that process of preparing to become a CAR-T centre? What sort of hurdles do you have to overcome when when getting ready? Yeah, so it is a long process to become a CAR-T infusion centre. The first thing really you need is accreditation by JC for immune effector cell therapy. So JC is the regulatory body within the uh, UK and Europe um, that sort of licenses um, centres for cellular therapy. So here in Oxford, for example, we've been uh, JC accredited for autologous and allergenic stem cell transplantation for many years but we had to get an additional level of JC accreditation for immune effector cell therapy. Now, we actually had that accreditation um, uh, some time ago. Um, the steps after that, well, remember that we, because this is a product that's made, if you like, bespoke for each patient, uh, you need an ongoing relationship with the pharmaceutical company that actually manufactures these products. And so you need to be onboarded by those pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies now, there are two products and each pharmaceutical company does this slightly differently. Um, one, for example, requires an audit to be done of the pathway. And then there's a time where you have to sort of respond to that audit process and put new steps into place. Um, you have to, as a center, write standard operating procedures around all sorts of things. You know how your referral system works, how your handover system works what you will do for cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity and HLH and all these other complications of CAR-T. You obviously as well, of course, you know, you can't put in a new brand new treatment technology without without the right staff infrastructure. So you then have to really get a business case uh, accepted by your hospital trust uh, so that you can appoint 
uh, people and make the whole process safe. And of course, it's not just doctors, it's also nurses, it's also pharmacists, it's also administ administrative staff. You know, there's a whole uh, lot of people. There's dietitian input. We also had some money to pay for neurologist time because, you know, one of the um, main side effects is neurotoxicity. So we need neurology input here. We needed to engage our um, ITU and anaesthetics colleagues. Um, as uh, Unfortunately, you know, quite a few of these patients will need to spend at least some time in the intensive care unit. So business case, lots of interaction with colleagues and a lot of paperwork to, to come up with those SOPs. And then once that's done, uh, you're nearly there then, you then have to submit everything to the national commissioners who assess and make sure that you've got all the steps needed in place uh, and that you've been onboarded by the companies. Um, and then finally, there's also a second sort of more local commissioner sign off. And then you get the letter. And it was a very good day when we had the letter saying we were finally commissioned as uh, an infusion centre. Um, and in all that, there must be quite a big training need for staff, for those who are who, who are going to be taking part in infusing patients. How do you organise that kind of prior to um, sort of going live, as it were? Yeah, th that's a really good point to bring up, actually, the training need. And that's a huge piece of work that goes on during set up as an infusion centre. The, the, the way we did it was essentially to appoint lead trainers amongst the different um, specialist groups. So the consultants were, had their own training, nurses had their own training, um, registrars, uh, senior house officers um, and foundation doctors, um, pharmacists. You know, so each of the sort of lead person who had a cartry T interest within each of those specialist groups would then take responsibility uh, for the training. So I'll give an example of what I did. For example, we we wanted to make sure that everybody who looks after CAR T patients at night has at least some understanding of the acute toxicities. Now, you might think, oh, well, that's, of course, haematologists. Well, actually, it's not. We also have oncology registrars who uh, cover our patients at night as part of our hospital at night rotor. And of course, they haven't necessarily been keeping in touch with this at all. So we had actually a really good uh, training session with the oncologists just to cover those basic principles of CAR-T and in particular what to do in an out of hours emergency situation and crucially who to escalate it to. Uh, you know, so these steps in the pathway are also vital. We wouldn't expect junior doctors to manage by themselves. It's who, who they can talk to quickly. Yes, absolutely. And how valuable was support from other centres that are already up and running in kind of helping you through that process and perhaps answering any questions that you had? I know that you've been involved in the kind of national panel for a while. So, you know, is everybody supporting each other basically to get to the stage? Yeah, there's a lot of support. It's actually been really encouraging to see how united the UK community is to get other centres up and running. There's no sort of, or not that I've detected, no sort of territorialism. You know, we don't want to lose our patients. I think everyone realises these technologies are coming in for more and more indications and that's likely to continue. So in order for maximum um, advantage for patients and to optimise patient experience, that needs to be given reasonably close uh, to home. So, yeah, there was a lot of support. So basically, you know, if we wanted to draw up our local SOP uh, around a certain topic, we could get in touch with Newcastle or Birmingham or UCH or wherever. And they were more than happy to share their protocols so that we could then base ours on that. The other thing that's been incredibly helpful is now we've sort of started infusing our first patients you can have all the protocols you like, but when you actually give it in real life, you know, things happen and it's quite hard sometimes to in 
uh, to apply those protocols always to real life situations. But again, friends and colleagues are more than happy for us just to pick up the phone and talk to them. And that's been very valuable. And actually, I've loved being part of the national panel during this process, because, again, you know, there's another forum where um, challenging issues are discussed uh, with a team of people with all sorts of experience, some new centres like myself, others long in the tooth and, you know, very experienced at giving CAR tea. So, yeah, it's been actually a real um, highlight of the process to see the collaborative um, nature of it. So prior to Oxford coming on board, would you have had patients who would have been suitable for CAR tea, but who would have been referred to other centres? Is that how that worked? Oh, yes. Prior to us being an infusion centre, we referred a lot of patients elsewhere and it depended a little bit on their geography. Uh, you know, many of our patients went to London centres because, you know, that's often how the geography worked. But further on the west of our region, patients went to Bristol. Further in the north of our region, patients went to Birmingham. And, you know, thankfully, you know, being where we are in the country, I, I don't know of any patient who didn't have CAR T because of the travel. I did have patients who didn't particularly want to travel. Um, and of course, it's not just the travel, it's also getting to know a whole new medical team, you know, which is very disturbing when a patient's just been told they've relapsed for the second time and need this quite toxic, difficult treatment. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot to, to then get to know a whole new team of nurses and doctors. So there are definitely disadvantages to it. But there are some regions in the country where, you know, patients have a lot further to travel to get to CAR-T. And I absolutely have heard of patients who've said no purely on the basis of um, of that distance. And like you say, an important part of this that you don't necessarily get with other treatments is that um, sort of relationship communication that you need with the pharmaceutical companies who are manufacturing these individual products. Um, so how's that been working? Because I, I know as well that they're obviously having global demand as this product is kind of growing and growing. So I guess that's another sort of something to factor in that you don't necessarily need to think about with other treatments that you're offering. Yes, it is very different having that additional angle of maintaining a relationship with the pharmaceutical company as a necessary step. I mean, we often do have relationship with pharmaceutical companies, but, you know, it's absolutely necessary to have that ongoing relationship. We need to log into their portals to register our patients, you know, for example. Um, yes, I mean, the, the two products that are available currently in England have and the rest of the UK have been available for quite some time. So actually, both companies have got very good manufacturing capacity so actually uh, you know that's not the issue now i think the issue that many centers are facing uh, ours to an extent is simply uh, capacity for apheresis slots you know there's a real national shortage of apheresis slots which is being addressed but it's um it's actually easier to find a manufacturing slot than it is for an apheresis slot um now there are other companies who haven't yet sort of come to the uk but do have licensed products that are having more issues with manufacturing um, but I guess with time, you know, they will ramp up their manufacturing capability as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, as you alluded to there, this is a very fast moving field. Um, you know, we've got kind of got new indications, new products, etc. Um, a year from now, say, where do you hope to be as a centre in delivering CAR-T? Yes, well, so right at the moment, because we've only just started, um, we are having to take things reasonably slowly because, you know, there, there is, I was going to say fear, fear is too strong a word, uncertainty and caution, which I think is right um, when bringing in these brand new sort of treatment modalities. So for the ward staff, for example, we've said that we would try and have only one patient uh, within the sort of high risk two weeks of the of the infusion 
at least for the first four patients. So we have had to still, unfortunately, turn a few patients away from Oxford, but of course they're going to other centres um, to have their CAR-T. This time next year, I hope we'll be absolutely fully up and running and taking anyone who's within our region for licensed um, uh, indications. In addition, you know, there is this is such a fast moving area. Uh, clinical trials are abundant. And, you know, I really like our patients to be able to have access to clinical trials of new CAR-T products. You know, what we want to see is we want to see CAR-T products that are off the shelf rather than taking six weeks to manufacture. Uh, we want to see CAR-T products that don't have um, uh, an escape mechanism of simple antigen loss, you know, maybe by, by you know, multi-targeting CAR-T or armoured CAR-T, you know, where they can overcome an immunosuppressive tumour microenvironment. There are lots of advances that can be made to improve the cure rate and reduce the toxicity. And so I very much hope by this time next year, we will have a probably small, but a growing portfolio of CAR-T and other cellular therapy trials that we can offer to our patients. Yes, fantastic. I mean, I think those kind of clinical trials happening within the NHS has been a key part of this from, from the beginning. Um, I suppose my final question is sort of from a practical point of view, as the indications grow, the use of CAR-T continues to grow. Um, what does that mean for the NHS kind of offering this treatment on a on a much bigger scale, I suppose, than we've sort of seen maybe in the past year or two? Yeah, well, I mean, the first step that the NHS that is needed, the NHS is already taking, which is to expand centre numbers. That's absolutely needed. The, the, I guess the thing on the horizon which would really increase numbers is whether myeloma as an indication is approved. Now, it's not likely to be in the next six months or so but uh, who knows you know after that particularly with longer term follow-up data if and it isn't if you know if CAR-T are curing any subset of patients for example that would be a major finding um, of cellular therapy in the myeloma field so and that would you know almost treble numbers I think across the country so we will need all those allergenic centres open and then I think you know whilst I think it's sensible to restrict this initially to centres that deliver allergenic CAR T cells in principle I don't think there would be a problem with centres that deliver for example autologous stem cell transplants uh, to also consider uh, opening for at least some um, CAR T indications uh, so we may see that happen. So I think there's going to need to be a flexibility, a certain nimbleness in the NHS to um, allow centre expansion. Um, uh, and, you know, that will, of course, need some investment. Um, but, these, you know, these are such groundbreaking therapies, you know, for our patients showing real um inroads into some major area of unmet needs you know i i i i hope you know we and expect that we will see those indications nhs approved indications as well uh, expand with time absolutely i mean like you say it's so fast moving that a year from now when we're having this conversation again who who knows where we'll be but it's very interesting to watch i think that's an excellent place to round up thank you so much for taking the time to update us on that Graham. you're very welcome thank you thanks Okay, bye for everybody. We will see you on the next episode.